I don't remember a lot of things. The other day I, I took a test that was designed to mimic the college entrance exam, the SAT exam. We've just started a new college school year. And months before this, all the new incoming freshmen, most of them had to take an entrance exam of some sort or another. I did as well when I started school. And so I wanted to see how much I remembered. Short answer, not so much. I did okay on the reading section. Uh, The math section, let's say I was a little bit rusty I didn't remember much of my trigonometry, or was it geometry, or or was it algebra? I mean, not only did I not know how to solve the equation, I didn't even know what kind of equation it was. Most of us have short memories, which often lead us to some answers that may be a little less than correct. For this question, however... Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone had the right answer. It's sometimes called the Sunday school answer. Those of you who've been in Sunday school a while, you know what I'm talking about. It's whatever the teacher asks in Sunday school, if you don't know the answer, just say Jesus. (laughs) And actually, that's not a bad thing. Jesus is exactly the answer that all of us need. And in this passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, Jesus describes why. Again, we're looking in the 12th chapter of John, starting with verse 47. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. We already know the verdict. In this passage in John chapter 12, Jesus is expanding on something that he said a little earlier in his ministry. It's recorded in John chapter 3, verse 16. You know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then there's the follow-up verse. Verse 17, sometimes we leave that one out. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's a familiar passage. Well, here in John chapter 12, Jesus takes those two statements, John 3, 16 and 17, in reverse. He starts with that verse 17, that one that sometimes we we forget goes along with verse 16, that, that God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. People often see God in one of two ways. They see God as this kind of benevolent grandfather, this this Santa Claus kind of figure in the sky that's just up there doling out gifts to everyone. Or they see God as some kind of wild-eyed fanatic throwing thunderbolts and lightning bolts at everybody all around. 
Neither of those is an accurate portrayal of God, obviously. Now, God is the giver of all good things, especially the greatest blessing of all. We'll look at that in just a moment. But first, let's take a a look at that angry lightning bolt God. The God who, who strikes out and squashes everything in his path. Now, there's no question whatsoever that God is presented in the Bible as the ultimate judge. That is clearly stated in Scripture. But there's something else that we need to understand. With, with, with an earthly judge, you know, all of us that, that grew up watching Perry Mason, you know, you're always waiting for that, 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 that judgment. For, and you're wondering, is, is he going to say guilty or innocent? Well, we don't have to wonder about that. We already know what the verdict is. And Jesus identifies that reality in John chapter 12, verse 48. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my word. The very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. That's the problem for us all. It's what we really don't want to admit, but it's a reality we have to understand. It's the devastating news that Paul repeats in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the truth is, deep down, we know that. We know there's just something that's not right with our life. And we try to find a way around it. We try to find a way to to justify it. We try to find a philosophy that will soothe the ache that we have in our heart. That something... Something will make us feel all right. But the very fact that we're searching for those things proves that we understand the problem. We don't measure up. We don't make the grade. In fact, we are so far from perfection that we don't even really know what perfection is. And All of the world religions and philosophies try to lower that goal by by giving us a list of things that we could do. A a rationalization that, that it doesn't really matter what we do. But deep down, we know that's just not enough. We recognize that 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 list of rules, even if we could keep all of them, wouldn't be enough. We, we recognize that that rationalization that everything that we do is okay, we know that's not right. We're like Martin Luther, the, the great reformer. As a young man, Luther was seeking to follow his parents' wishes. They wanted him to enter into the field of law, and so he was studying to be a lawyer. When one evening he was caught in a terrible thunderstorm and he was so frightened by the wind and the lightning that he he bowed in the midst of that storm and said, God, if you'll preserve me through this storm, I'll become a monk. And God preserved him. And so he was true to his vow. He, He became a monk. But as a a, a monk, Luther struggled 
to live up to what he perceived as God's deliverance, not just his deliverance through the storm, but, but as he read the scriptures, how God had delivered him from all of his guilt and all of his shame. And, and, and Luther tried to live up to that by following all of the, the rules of his order. And still, it just didn't seem to be enough. One of the teachings of the church at his particular time was the purchase of what were called indulgences. It was literally buying God's forgiveness. And Luther came to understand how ridiculous that was, that anyone could pay any amount of money that could somehow purchase God's grace for themselves. And so it led him to write what became known as the 95 Theses. It was a list of of reasons how we can't possibly live up to the grace of God. And he invited others to debate this this practice of indulgences. It was beginning the beginning of what we now call the Great Reformation, a movement that brought the church back to the Scripture. And all of that came out of a recognition that all of us deep down understand that no matter what we do, we can't make ourselves right with God. That's the first understanding we have to have in order to receive salvation. The understanding that we can't do it. That no matter how much we try, no matter how many times we go to church, no matter how many good deeds we might accomplish, no matter how much we might try to make our life better, it's never enough. The more we understand about who God really is, the more we recognize how far we are from Him. And that's what Jesus identifies here. We already know the verdict. We recognize the hole that we've dug for ourselves. We, we know that something is just not right and we can't make it right. Which leads to the extraordinary discovery that Jesus reveals. That He is exactly what we need. Verse 49 in John chapter 12, Jesus says, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that His command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me. Throughout this passage, Jesus restates this vital truth that he would say again and again and again throughout his ministry. That he is divine. He would say it in a number of different ways. He would say it through what he did. Only God could do the miracles that Jesus did. He would say it through what he claimed. He claimed to forgive sin. Only God can do that. And he would make this extraordinary claim through what he said. In no uncertain terms. Statements like, I and the Father are one. All the extraordinary mystery of the Trinity, that God is one and yet three, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are revealed in this extraordinary reality. Jesus makes this extraordinary truth come alive. 
the words that Jesus spoke, the message that he proclaimed, it wasn't different from what God had been saying all along. It, it was the same word that God had spoken through creation. It was the same word that God had spoken through the selection of Abraham and the patriarchs. It was the same word that God had spoken through Moses and the Exodus experience. Where we have need, God has provided. And in our greatest need, God provides His greatest gift. He sent his son. When you go to the doctor, you hope that the doctor will be able to diagnose whatever it is that is your difficulty and be able to prescribe for you something that you can go to the pharmacist and then receive exactly the medication that you need to make you feel better. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. I was filling a prescription one day, and the pharmacist very apologetically told me they did not have the particular medication that my doctor had prescribed. But they promised we'll have some in just a couple of days. Well, a couple of days later, they still didn't have it. A couple of days more, they still didn't have it. I was just really glad I wasn't super sick. That couple of days would have gotten really old after a while. That's the problem that Jesus identifies in this passage and also the answer. Jesus identifies if you do God's command, you'll have eternal life. The problem is we don't do God's command and we know it. We don't even begin to measure up to what God has commanded. Everywhere we look, we see the problem that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we look at our own life, and the pharmacy shelves are bare. We recognize that the goal is not to be good enough to get into heaven, but the goal is to be as good as God is. And none of us measures up to that. Nobody even comes close. And then Jesus steps in. He accomplishes what we could not do. He lived a Perfectly sinless, holy life in every way. And he took our guilt, our shame, all of our sin on himself so that he could provide for us what we could not do. He provides eternal life. Now, that message is is something that some of us in this room, we've heard literally all our life. If you've had the blessing of growing up in a Christian household and being a part of a good Bible-believing church, then you've heard that message time and time again. And So many times that you may be even wondering this morning, well, why is he preaching this? We've heard this before. 
Well, for one thing, it's a good thing for us to remember it. In fact, we must never forget what Jesus has done for us. But here's the other thing, folks. We know this. They don't. We know that Jesus died for our sin. The folks down your street don't. We know that this pain and agony, this hole in our life, we know that Jesus has filled that. We know that Jesus has taken our shame away. We know what Jesus has accomplished for us. But folks, they don't. And they're desperately searching for it. You see, even though they may not be able to put it into words, they recognize how far their life is from God. They recognize that something's wrong. And they recognize that all the things they're trying to do are just falling woefully short. And God put you where you are to tell them. God put you in your neighborhood where you live. Because there's somebody in your neighborhood where you live that doesn't know what Jesus did for him. God put you where you work. Because there's somebody at your workplace that is desperately trying to fill the emptiness in their life and they may be trying to fill it with drugs or booze or sex or some other type of sin that they think will finally relieve some of that unhappiness they have and they realize how empty that is. Or, or maybe they're, they're trying to, to live a good life and trying to be good enough, but somehow they recognize that all the good things that they're trying to do, they're just not filling that emptiness and they're desperately looking For what it is that will fill that hole in their life. And you know what it is. And that's why we can't say it enough. That Jesus provides exactly what we need. Heavenly Father, it sometimes is difficult for us who who've been in the church for a number of years, it's hard for us to to realize there are those all around us who, who don't know these very basic truths of our faith. And sometimes we hear it so many times, it, it almost doesn't even register. We sing the hymns of faith over and over again, and we almost don't even realize what we're singing. So God, today, remind us. Remind us, first of all, of your marvelous grace. That we were without hope. But through what you have done for us, you made us whole again. You forgave us. You cleansed us. You gave us everlasting life. But God, don't let it stop there. We're not here just waiting for that day that we'll enter into the gates of heaven. We're here because you have something for us to do. You've placed us in this community because there are people in this community that do not know what we know. And so God, help us to tell. Help us to be shining lights for your glory. That our world might know 
that Jesus is the answer. For it is in his precious name we pray. Amen.